I'm telling you, as we look at the book of Acts, we see a picture of what God still desires to do. His church, He very much desires to still be alive. And He's still at work in His church. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and land. Set your The book of Acts, chapter 1, is where we're going to be today. I am Barrett, one of the pastors here. I want to thank Tiffany and Amber, especially, for working on that video. Pretty cool. Um, we are so excited about the summer season here at ICC, and if you're new this morning, I want to welcome you personally. Um, I am so grateful that you're here. I hope to be able to meet you uh, soon. We are a big family church. Uh, most of us live uh, here in the city, and uh, we are just bound together by our love for Jesus and our love for one another and our desire to be a part of the things that really matter in this world, the things of God. And uh, so we are in our season of summer, one of the best seasons of the year, in my opinion. If you're a visitor today and you don't take somebody up on lunch, I don't know, man. Just saying. You should do it. Uh, and I really hope that you'll take every opportunity, church family, to be a part of this summer season, especially the opportunity for community. Um, it's wonderful. Acts chapter 1. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll get started. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have together to worship you, to spend time in your presence, to receive from you, God. And Lord, um, today we are needy. You are not needy. We come because you are the giver of life and breath and everything. We come not to give to you, but to receive from you, God. Yes, we offer ourselves, our hearts and our lives, but Lord, everything that we have is of what you receive, and we thank you for the good news of your gospel. That though we are broken, Though we have rebelled against you, Father, though we are sinful and our sin deserves death, life forever apart from you, that you have chosen in your love for us to come to restore us back into relationship with you. And God, that you have made this possible by your work, not something that we are to do for you, but something you did for us in giving of yourself, your son, to live so that we might have righteousness to die, so that we might have forgiveness of sin, to be buried in our place, and to rise triumphantly from the dead, to give newness of life to us, Lord, and all who believe. And Lord, this is ours, not through our work, but through faith, as we receive as a gift from you. We thank you, Lord, for your love. And I pray, God, today that you would revive us in your gospel, you would renew us. And God, I pray that for all the different needs that are here today, God, that you would take care of us and remind us of your love, of the sufficiency of your grace, of your constant care and concern for us, Lord, of your promises that are yes and amen for those who hold on to them by faith, of the hope that we have that is unshakable. God, renew us as we spend time in your presence. 
Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that is here with us and ministering to us. And we pray that you would speak, that we would listen, and God, that you would change us for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the book of Acts. Did everybody get one of these cool little things on the way in this morning? Raise it. If it, I'm trying to get an idea of who got it. Who did not get it? Raise your hand if you did not get it. Okay. We're going to make sure you get one. They're at the hospitality desk. But I want to call your attention to this. And if you're listening online, this is why you've got to come to church. Um, <laughs> because you can only get them here. But I want to call your attention to this because Yvonne, our pastoral intern this year, and myself, we work to put this together. In this, you will see, um, we're not doing those big, thick guides for this series, but you will see an outline of the book of Acts, the major events in the book of Acts. Everybody see that? It's got dates, historical dates beside these events, and it's also got scripture references for you. And then if you open it up, if you're under 25, you'll be able to read it. If you're over 25, you'll look at a magnifying glass later, and you will be able to see that essentially this is also some of the major events of Acts. If you trail along the top of this, this is some of the major events of Acts. But then it's got the major players in Acts, the personalities that we will see throughout this book. And it will help you understand some of the major happenings in the book, especially as it relates to these personalities and where they are as the book progresses in history. I hope that this will be a very valuable resource for you. You can tuck it in your Bible or put it beside your journal or on your desk, wherever it is that you study the Word of God. Definitely bring it with you on Sundays. Because what's going to happen as we go through this series is we're going to be using a variety of mediums to really teach the whole book thoroughly. On Sunday mornings, I'm going to be hitting some of the major theme highlights of the book, walking through the book. We're also going to be encouraging you to spend time reading the Word of God on your own, studying with resources like this. And then later in July, we're going to be having some special workshop opportunities to dive deeper on a non-Sunday uh, to come and have like an intensive study of some of the more, um, especially some of the missionary journeys that happen later in Acts. It's going to be a fun summer. Anybody excited? I'm excited. Um, but I just wanted to help you know what this is for, okay? Because as we look at the book of Acts, um, we are looking at a history book. We call it church alive because really one of the major attractions in the book of Acts is that it, it gives us a picture of the church, the church of God alive, the church as God originally designed it to be. Many of us uh, sometimes get asked the question, how old is your church? They ask us about ICC. Some of you, do y'all know how old our church is? The answer, correct answer, is 2,000 years. Okay? And the reason is because our church's history, we got to get this right, our church's history did not start with the planting of our church. It started here in the book of Acts. Now, granted, you can answer the question according to what God did with this unique local expression of ICC, but what I'm trying to say is one of the wonderful things about the book of Acts is it gives us, it answers the question, how did Christianity start? How did churches come into existence? 
Why is ICC even here? What are we to be about? What makes the church alive? If you had to answer that question right now, what would you say? Do you think you could give a thorough biblical exposition, which all of us are meant to be growing more and more in our understanding of the Scriptures? Could you point people in the Word of God and answering the question, what are the key ingredients of a healthy church? What are the essentials of what makes a church a church and what really makes a church alive? And what does it look like to be healthy as a member of the church? I love that uh, the history of Acts is our history. It's our church's history. And yes, it, it tells the story of the, the earliest days in the church. Learning about this is critical to understanding who we are and what we are to be about. Um, anybody done those uh, DNA test things? Careful what you do. You may find out some things you don't want to know. Um, anybody ever done one of those? 23 and, what is it? 23 and me? Yeah? Nobody's done that. All right. This would be a good idea for your friend. Somebody's done it. Okay, we got one person, Bree, who's done it. <laughs> Learning about your family history, I thought this was going to be a more effective illustration. <laughs> but for you, Bree, you understand. <laughs> Learning about your history helps you know more of who you are today, right? Somewhat, Yeah. Anyway, same thing is true for us. As we learn about the history of the church, it helps us understand and appreciate more of who we are today. So, one of the most important books of the Bible. I'm so, so, so excited. Um, and one of the things you've got to get straight is that as we look at this book, we are not just going to look at the things that God used to do. I think this on the sc screen here. We're not going to just look at the things that God used to do, but rather... We're also going to look at the things that God still wants to do. We've got to be very careful, and I'm going to explain this more in a second, but we've got to be very careful as we approach historical books of the Bible to just go, get bored and think, well, that was then. You know, we were studying about all this, all this history. I hated history in college. Some of us think that way. But it's not just history. I mean, the history is very, very, very important. And it shows us what God did. But I'm telling you, as we look at the book of Acts, we see a picture of what God still desires to do. His church, he very much desires to still be alive. And he's still at work in his church in the ways we see in the book of Acts. And so I'm excited about it because we get to see not just the history, but also the opportunity to see what God is up to today. And that's part of why we felt really led to do this series this summer, and I'm about to get to Acts 1. I know this is a long intro. But some of you have heard about Vision 2025. Um, if you've not heard about it, I want to tell you that God has given to our church over the last year through a very intentional process of vision of what it looks like to walk together into the next five to seven years of ministry here at ICC. And we've named very specific things that we're believing God for, that he's leading us toward. Things like 
raising up 10 new church planters to be a part of planting churches in the city and around the country, raising up, praying for, and raising up 10 new global missionaries to be a part of church planting and gospel witness in, among the nations overseas, seeing more churches planted here in our city. In fact, we desire to see from our church three churches planted, desiring to see a network of churches formed that could be cooperative and supportive of one another. Where do we get Vision 2025? Do we just sit around all day and go, well, well, that sounds fun. That sounds exciting. That'd be something to do, you know. No, that comes as a very modern, very localized expression of the continuation of what we see right here in the book of Acts. So one of the things we will have the opportunity to do this summer is understand how our present moment, your membership and belonging to ICC, how does it relate to what is happening here in the book of Acts? Because I love the way the book of Acts ends. The book of Acts, when we study it, you'll see it. It ends very abruptly. And I believe that it does so to help us know that right now we are in the continuation of this story. God is still writing his story and he's still doing it through his church and we get to see what begins in Acts and what he continues today. Isn't that cool? Anybody excited? I'm looking for more energy, guys. It's summer, okay? We gotta go. All right, Acts chapter one. Let's get cranking. I'm gonna start at verse one. I read from the English Standard Version. I'm gonna read starting in verse 1, and today we're going to look at verse 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, 
two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's Word. Well, I want to point out this morning three things that to me speak to the heart of what I believe Jesus is trying to entrust his disciples and to us. He wants to give them a gospel identity. Okay? That's the theme of today's message is gospel identity. Now, we use the same word, phrase, to describe one of the primary measures of characteristics of the followers of Jesus. We use it talking about how we are defined in the love and grace of Jesus, sufficient satisfaction, security, and purpose in him. And this morning, as we expose Acts chapter 1 and we walk through it together, we're going to see a reinforcement of what it looks like to have a gospel identity. And the question I have for you is, how do you primarily identify yourself? Where does your identity rest? If I were to ask the question, who are you? Not what do you do, but who are you? How would you answer the question? It's very important that all of us, as followers of Jesus, have a clear sense of identity that is rooted in the gospel. And I know I'm a work in progress, and I believe that you're a work in progress too. Because we so often tend to place our identity in so many other things, and especially by our activity. But the question I'm asking again is, who are you? And Jesus wants to make sure that his disciples, both the ones who are standing with him physically here in Acts chapter 1, and also the ones who I'm standing with physically today, have a clear sense of identity rooted in the gospel. So the I want to walk through three things that I believe that comprise a gospel identity that Jesus is giving from this text, okay? Let's start in verse 1. I love going through books of the Bible with our church. That's primarily what we do. And I love going verse by verse because it shows you that you can open the Bible, you can read the Bible, spend time in the Bible, seek the Spirit of God and understanding from the Lord, and you can meet with God and grow in relationship with Him. I love it. So verse 1, it says, in the first book, O Theophilus, and I want to stop right there, and you're going to say, this is going to be a long message, and it might be. (laughs) But the reality is, I do want, for those of you who are new to the scriptures or just need a reminder, you need to understand the context of these books. Here's how it begins. In the first book, O Theophilus. Now, this means... The book is being dedicated, it's being written to a guy named Theophilus. Do you remember any other time in the Bible where you see the name Theophilus? It's in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and we read that Luke dedicates his Gospel. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Bible speaks to us over and over that it's really about Jesus. There are four books dedicated to the life, the ministry, the work of Jesus. One of the books written by Luke is dedicated also to 
Theophilus. That's in Luke chapter 1, verse 3. And we see that he's titled in Luke 1, Most Honorable Theophilus, which probably means he's a Roman official. And Luke tells us in verse 4 of his gospel, chapter 1, that his aim is to help Theophilus become more certain of Jesus Christ, to grow in his confidence and his relationship with him, which probably means that Theophilus is either a Christian seeker or a very new believer. And perhaps Theophilus helped to fund Luke. Who is Luke? Luke is a doctor. Anybody in here in health science? He's your man, okay? He's probably not poor because I don't know many. I'm just saying. (laughs) Which tells us that the gospel is for all kinds of people. Some of us think that the gospel only thrives in poor, uneducated communities, and that is just not so. The gospel thrives in all communities, including those who have means and who have great intellect and great resources at their disposal. And Luke is a historian. He's an investigator. He's a researcher. He's very educated. He's a prolific writer. And because of his two books, his gospel and now the book of Acts, plus his companionship with Paul throughout all of Paul's ministry, Luke is a present companion. We read that. It's referenced many places in Acts and in in Paul's writings. Because of that, Luke is involved in writing the majority of the New Testament or associated with what is happening in the midst of the writings of the majority of the the New Testament. It's really, really cool. We don't know much about Luke's life because he doesn't ever talk about his own life, but he talks extensively about Jesus, and we can be sure that what he writes is history. It's pretty cool. So we got through the first five words, maybe six. You like the pace? In the first book, O Theophilus, okay, Luke is writing again to his friend. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. He continues, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had chosen. So what Luke is telling us is that what he's about to to speak is not based on man's speculation. It's not based on someone's wild imagination. It's not a once upon a time in a far, far away land fairy tale. He is telling us that what I am writing to you is historical revelation. I'm writing about a real person, Jesus, and I'm writing about one who, who died and who rose bodily and who appears to witnesses and who taught for 40 days before ascending. So he basically said, okay, Theophilus, I need you to know something. Okay, you read my gospel. Everybody's read the Luke gospel? You know what I'm talking about. He said, I, I, that's just the prologue, man. I, that's just the, the beginning Don't read my first book and think that when I close that book, that that was it, that Jesus' life and ministry was done. Some of us have that mindset. We think that with the resurrection of Christ, it's just done. He says, no, no, no. In my first book, you see, I, I just started. 
I just started to talk to you about Jesus, what he began to do and to teach until the day. So what he's saying is, right now I'm about to, to, to follow this up and tell you what he's, he did after that and what he's still doing. Does that make sense? So, in other words, when we talk about the title of Acts, you ever wonder why the book has that name? Why does the book have the name Acts? Give your neighbor your best guess. All right, do it real quick. This is a participation portion of the sermon. All right, what did you think? What was your guess? Hopefully, you, you said something about it's the acts of the continued work of Jesus. Okay? Now, if you said something about, like in my Bible at the title, it says the Acts of the Apostles. Anybody have that in their title? And you cheated. Okay? That's what you get for cheating. That was not in the title of the book. Okay? That was something man added. What I'm trying to get to is the heart of this book. Luke is saying to us, in the first book, I wanted you to see what Jesus began to do and teach, but in this book, I want to talk to you about what Jesus continues to do and teach. I, I want to talk to you about the continuing work of Jesus. Now, yes, it's in a new way, in a messianic age, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's working through his apostles. But don't be mistaken. This is about the continued work of Jesus among those who believe. This is about Jesus. Jesus is still working, O Theophilus. Don't think that Jesus stopped at the first book. He's continuing in this book. The ministry of Jesus continues. You have a chart here. It's important to know. We, we thought, think about the history books of the Gospels. That was then Jesus' earthly ministry. You can put a point on it. There was a point in time when that happened. But don't think it was just a point because that line, it's a continuum. It extends out to this day to Jesus' continuing ministry among us. And how cool is it that you and I, do you think about this? Do we believe this? That in our present day, we are still a part of the very things that the apostles got to be a part of in their day. His ministry continues among his church. It's pretty cool. Gets me excited. So, he says his ministry involved, he began to do the first book I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. I don't have time to spend on a lot of this, but I, I do want you to know that Jesus is doing and his teaching are wrapped together, and the same is true for us. Some people love the things that Jesus did. Oh, he was such a good person. He was so kind. He was so compassionate. He was so forgiving, so self-sacrificial. He loved little children, blah, 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 and they just love, and they use Jesus' life. We just want to model ourselves after Jesus' life, but when it comes to Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Ooh, I don't really like that part. So we don't like what Jesus says, but we like what he does. But you can't have what he does without what he says. And part of what Jesus does is meant to attest to who he is so that when he speaks, we know that he really is God and we need to listen to what he says. 
we have to know that those come together. And it's not just about preaching, but it's also about living. Jesus embodies the fullness of God with how he lives, what he did, and also what he said. And it's one of the greatest apologetics that we could ask for. If, when you get offended by the words of Jesus, oh, he's offensive. Anybody ever been offended by Jesus? What? It's offensive. But when you begin to question, is that real? Look at the manner of his life. Is he the kind of person that you could believe? Is he the kind of person that walks the walk and backs up his talk? He lays down his life so that the things that he said might have an opportunity to manifest themselves in your life. He's the real deal. And the greatest apologetic of all is he's raised from the dead. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine what these guys are dealing with? He says here in verses 2 and 3, he says I, what he began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them the kingdom of God. Can you imagine the dude that was in the coffin on Friday night is suddenly with us on Sunday and he's hanging out for 40 days and people, you could go talk to him you can see the scars in his hands. You can see his resurrected body. And he's spending time with them. He's saying, I am who I say that I am. You can believe me. I am the Son of God. I am the true Messiah. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Look at me, what I do, but listen to me, what I say. Wow. Proof. Not only did he hang out with them in this moment, I, let, me, let me just pause here and tell you, I've been teaching all of this, but I forgot to tell you that the characteristic that I'm aiming for. What's the point of all of this? We talked about who we are, gospel identity. What's the point of all this? The first piece of gospel identity is this. When you answer the question, who are you? The first piece is this, someone who is centered on Jesus. Someone who is centered on Jesus. Luke helps us here because he's pointing to how Jesus is helping his disciples. He starts out his book and he, he said, Oh, Theophilus, I need you to understand something. The center of Christianity is not primarily a philosophy or a place or a religious system. Christianity is centered on a person, Jesus. Don't get it wrong. Some think that Christianity is all about a certain set of teachings or a certain place that we worship or certain religious activity that we hold to. 
And Luke says to us, no, it's not about that at all. Ultimately, Christianity is all about the living, reigning, resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you want to understand what I'm leading you to understand, Theophilus, and I'm saying to you, church, if you want to understand what, what it's all about, you need to know the person of Jesus because it's all about him. It's all about him. Jesus is central for the life of the church. Jesus is central for the worship of the church. Jesus is central for the teaching of the church. Jesus is central for the witness of the church. Jesus is central for the missionary outreach of the church. It all centers on Jesus. And some might come and tell you, some who prefer the book of Acts to the Gospels, and it's not an either or, it's a both and, but there are many churches, many teachers, many denominations who I believe set themselves up for failure in a way because they, they make their, their home base the book of Acts. And they make it all about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But I'm concerned. We, yes, talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but we have to be careful not to let the ministry of the Holy Spirit overtake the central message of the person of Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit has been given for the purpose of pointing us to Jesus, making our hearts sing and shout and feel alive and thankful for the person of Jesus. He's directing us back to Jesus. And the church, in everything that we are, and everything that we do, has to be centered in Jesus. And that's why, if you look at the book here in Acts chapter 1, I really believe that that's how Luke is starting. He says, those are the office. I want to tell you about the continuing work of Jesus. I want, to, I want you to be enamored with who he is and what he's doing. And if you look at the apostles, if you go down a bit in Acts chapter 1, right after Jesus gives his instructions, and I'm going to go to that in just a second, but if you look at verse 9, it says, and when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went. I love this picture because <laughs> here's Jesus and he's like giving, he's presenting himself, what he did, what he says, and he's giving these instructions, and all of a sudden, he's just like, you ever seen a balloon, you like, let go of a balloon out of your hand? And all of a sudden, he's just, <laughs> I laugh about it a little bit, because, I mean, I've never in my life seen a person just raise up into the air. Have y'all? <laughs> um, and Jesus literally ascends into heaven, and it says that he's surrounded with a cloud, and it took him out of sight. It reminds us of the vision that Daniel had in chapter 7 of the cloud that would surround the Messiah. And it reminds us of Matthew 17 with Jesus' transfiguration. And it reminds us even of Moses meeting in the very presence of God in Exodus 17 with the cloud surrounding. It's a sight of magnificent glory. It's an exaltation, a demonstration of, of who he is. But the disciples 
It's a picture of worship, our worship today. In his exaltation, there, what would you be doing if you just saw him just float up in the air? The same thing they were doing. Their mouths are open and they're all going, what? Wow. And they, they're just stunned. Never has anyone seen anyone like this, anything like this. This is our God. And their gaze is transfixed on him. They're centered on Jesus. And I'm wondering, do you have an identity that's marked by a centeredness on Jesus? And, I'm, and all of us know, yes, I'm centered in Jesus. But I'm talking about the real you. When you wake up in the morning, is your gaze transfixed to your Savior, Jesus? Are you in awe? Are you a worshiper? Are you one who continues to marvel at who he is, what he does, what he says, are you one who stands as a worshiper going, wow, wow, wow? Because if you look at the testimony of Acts, I'm telling you, we make a mistake if we start thinking that it's all about what the people are doing, the church is doing in Acts. No, it's about Jesus and what Jesus is doing in Acts. And they are amazed that they get to know him and be a part of what he's doing. The Gospel of Luke was just the beginning, but he continues today, and I'm asking, do you believe this? Do you believe it? I'm asking for a response. Do you? Do you believe that he's alive today? Do you believe that his ministry continues today? And are you in all of him today? Who am I? I am a worshiper of the greatest one in the world. His name is Jesus. I'm not primarily one who likes his teaching, one who's involved with his work, blah, 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 blah. I'm one who is in love with his person. I know and love Jesus, and that's who I am more than anything else. I'm centered on Jesus. Amen? All right, we got to move on, right? Any questions about that one? I couldn't answer it anyway. Number two. <laughs> I could answer, but it would just be awkward because we're in this group. Somewhere I relax a lot, and I just start doing like a workshop, and I got to remember I'm supposed to be preaching. Preach, Barrett. Point number two. Not only, so what does it look like to have a gospel identity? Number one, it looks like to be centered on Jesus, and number two, it looks like to be empowered by the Spirit to be empowered by the Spirit. We're going to talk about this more in weeks to come, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it today, but I do want to point our attention to verses 4 and 5, and also verse 8. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel to Israel? And he said, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now this is to reiterate what he says back in verses 4 and 5 when he says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, 
And granted, we know that Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit to his disciples. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You will be my witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power. So, I want to point our attention to this. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit sustains God's people and makes their missionary witness effective. See, Jesus' life and his power are not to just be admired, but they are to be experienced. We've got to be careful if we stand at a distance and we think, oh, Jesus is such a great person. We admire that from a distance. But Jesus invites us in a new age, unlike I mean, I can't even imagine what the disciples felt at this moment. Because they had only seen the Holy Spirit empower people for brief periods of of time for special works of God. And they had witnessed Jesus. Everything that Jesus was and everything that he did was only possible because at all times he was filled with something that was not of himself. He was filled with the power of God. In his humanity, he had total divinity. He was filled constantly by the power, the indwelling presence of God. And now Jesus is looking at them and he's going, hey guys, hey girls, the time has come. I've told you that this is, you're about to be baptized, not with just water, but something is going to happen inside of you. God is going to fill you with his presence and power you will become the dwelling place of God. This is not just about you standing and looking at me anymore, going, wow, although you do that, but I'm coming to live inside of you so that you're not just admiring me from a distance, but you're experiencing me personally. My presence and power is coming to be with you. And this, my friends, my disciples, is what's going to sustain you. And this It's what's going to satisfy you. This is what's going to secure you. And this is what is going to make your ministry effective. What makes God's people effective in ministry? Is it natural abilities and skills? How is a church effective? Is it because we have a great social media campaign? Good communication strategies? because we have good rhetoric and good preaching and because we have good organizational abilities or because we're just a really genuine group of people. No! What makes a church a church and what makes a church effective is the presence and the power of God. If you look at the disciples, it is a ragtag group of fishermen. And God entrusts to them the responsibility to lead the beginning of the church and the Christian movement, how in the world was that ever effective? How are these untrained, non-seminary, just blue-collar worker men suddenly go out 
and experience the kinds of things that we read about in the book of Acts and the kinds of things that have had ripple effects in history into this very day. How is it? I'm telling you, it has nothing to do with them, their skills or their abilities. It has all to do with the fact that they believed Jesus when he said he was going to fill them with power. And the effectiveness of their witness is directly related to the presence of his Holy Spirit. And we need more people who don't think about their effectiveness in life as based on what they can do, but live every day not about what I can do, God, but it's about what you can do through me. It's not about my abilities. It's about your abilities, not by my skills, but by your power. Oh, God, I believe you for great and powerful and supernatural things to happen through my life. And it's not because of me. It's because of you. We need people who believe the Holy Spirit has come to indwell us for things beyond ourselves, beyond our small dreams, beyond our abilities. He's given us His Holy Spirit. We'll talk about this more in weeks to come. But the Holy Spirit in Acts, we see, reveals the power of God as the catalyst for the exaltation of Jesus, as the guarantee of the promises of God, as the cleanser and the restorer, the savior of the people of God, as the empowerment of the witness of the apostles. And, oh, we just need to believe that God indwells us for things greater than ourselves. And some of us sit on the sidelines, I really believe, which is why I encourage you to be here on Wednesday nights. I believe some of us sit on the sidelines because we think, I have nothing to offer. I don't know, I have nothing to give, I have nothing to do, I, I can't, I, you know, I'm just not the kind of person that could ever be effective in ministry. Well, if you can admit that you don't have the ability to be effective in ministry, then that is exactly the place that God wants you to be to be effective in ministry. God wants people who look around at each other going, what? We're supposed to do this? There's no way. And he goes, you're exactly right. There's no way on your own. But there is a way when I come to indwell you, when I come to empower you. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see it, boom, all through the book. It's going to be fun. Number three. So the first two pieces of gospel identity, number one, we're centered on Jesus, and number two, we're empowered by the Spirit. And I'm just going to ask the question, you know, does that describe you? Can you regularly testify, I'm asking you this, can you regularly testify of things that are happening through your life that are unexplainable by your skills, talent, ability? If you cannot testify of things that are happening outside of your skills and talent, your natural abilities, then I believe that you're not experiencing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't work in our lives by what we can do, but by what He can do. And I'm asking, do you have an identity that's rooted in it's not me, but it's you, God? Third, purpose to live on mission. Centered on Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and purposed to live on mission. If we look back at verse 6 through 8, he says, so when they, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait on the promise of the Father, 
for the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, he says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? The disciples are thinking, okay, Jesus, um, so are you about to just get this done, to seal the deal? This is the end, like this is the fullness of the promise, like this just, you're just about to take care of it right here now. And Jesus redirects them, and he says, um, guys, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, I'm not giving you that answer. Not going to tell you when that's going to happen. But I'm definitely not telling you that it's today. So let's just drop that conversation. But, but, verse 8, let's talk about what I want you to be about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There's a day coming. It's not about you. It's about what God's going to do through you. But what's the purpose of the power? You will be, y'all come on now, my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Huh. Okay. So the disciples are, okay. Um, think you got it. All of a sudden, Jesus floats up like a balloon. <laughs> and they're going, what? Wow. And it says that they literally are standing there, all gazing into heaven. And God has to send two guys dressed in white to basically tap them on the shoulders and goes, hello? Um, why are you gazing into heaven? Because he will come back just like you saw him go up. Guys, time to get to work. All right? That's basically what he's saying. This is, this is Barrett Virgin, okay? The power of God has a purpose in our life. And this purpose is not for those like me who are called to vocational ministry. In fact, my calling is to equip you in the purpose of God of Acts 1.8. This purpose transcends your particular vocation, transcends the place that you're living at any given moment, transcends the amount of money that you're making at any given moment, your marital status, your family status. This is not for some future season, although it is for that, but it is also for right now, where you are, what you're doing, the neighborhood you live in, what you're making right now, the transcending passion of your life. She is wrapped up in the identity that Jesus is bestowing upon you in this moment. From this moment, yes, I want you to be centered in me, and I want you to be filled with my spirit, but I want you to have a passion and a purpose, a direction of your life that transcends all things, and that is to witness to me. You are to be a witness to me. In all that you are, and all that you do, and all that you say, you're to bear witness about me. Which means, this witness, we don't bear witness about ourselves. People are not helped by us bearing witness about ourselves. All of us know people that you get around them, and all they can do is every conversation, they take it back to themselves. 
No matter how deep your struggle or how deep your pain, they will always make it about themselves. It all comes back to, yes, I've done that, or yes, I've done this, blah, 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 about themselves. And we, as followers of Jesus, are not to point people to ourselves. I don't care how good you think you are. People don't need your goodness. People need the greatness of Jesus. And, in, and what you have been entrusted with your money and with your time and with your workplace and your neighbors and your family and your influence, you are to be about Jesus. Inherent in your identity should be, I, I am passionate for Jesus. By the authority that God has given, and Jesus, no mistake, God has appointed these seasons. This is not for you to know, but he's sovereign over what I'm about to entrust to you. And he's entrusting it to the church. This mission is not for anybody but the church. We are to be about Jesus, bearing witness to him in our lives. This is the great joy of the church. And it's a recurring theme in the book of Acts. If you look at Acts 2.32, it says this, Jesus got raised up, of, of that we're all witnesses. At 3.15, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead, and, but we are, are witnesses. In 10.39, we are witnesses of, of what he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem by hanging him on a tree. In Acts 22.15, for you will be a witness of him. This is the identity that Jesus gave of what you have seen and what you have heard. All through the book, you're going to hear the theme, God has made me a witness. People stand up and they speak with boldness. They speak with courage. They, they live and they act sacrificially because they get that, that Jesus has made them a witness. A witness of what? Not themselves. A witness of him. A witness of who he is and what he did in his life and his death and forgiveness of sins and resurrection for all who believe. And they can stand and say, Jesus has changed my life, and I stand as a witness of one who has been forgiven and been free. Our life meant to be a witness. And the scope of our witness is universal. We're going to talk more about this in weeks to come, which gives me freedom not to teach it thoroughly and extensively at this moment. But I'll tell you this, authentic Christians and communities of Christians never focus all of their energies on their own local church. Authentic Christians and Christian communities never focus all of their energies on themselves and their own local church. We all have a both and mentality. The disciples didn't have a globe. Jesus wasn't teaching them by pulling out a globe. They didn't even know most of the world as it exists today. But he taught them enough for them to know that this is beyond just their neighborhood, just people of their kind. Yeah, this is for Jerusalem, but this is also for Judea, and this is also for Samaria, and this is also for the ends of the earth. This is, this is a bigger deal, guys. And you've got to go beyond just where you are at this moment. You've got to be thinking about the global glory of God. And you've got to be doing what you can do in your neighborhood, but also among people who are not like you. What about the Uptown? What about the Orange Mound? What about the White Haven and the South Haven? What about South Maine and the Pinch District? 
What about rural areas of Mississippi? I hate to say it, but some of us would think, oh, that's a redneck. What about the Confederate flag wavers? What about those who are strong advocates for things that are totally on the other side of the political spectrum that you might adhere to? What about the immigrants, those who live in the shadows? What about the internationals who don't seem to connect with us culturally or linguistically in any way? What about the Canadians and the Mexicans and the Colombians and the Venezuelans who are currently in such crisis? And what about the Cambodians and the Iceland people? What do you call them? I don't know. What about the Eskimos of Alaska? The Indians that got pushed out from their homes and are currently in communities that are wrought with so much peril out in our Midwest and West? What about the Japanese? And what about North Koreans? You are no longer to live for yourselves. You are to live for me, Jesus says. You are my witnesses here and there and to the ends of the earth. Nobody should be saying, it drives me nuts. I'm getting on a little tangent. I've got to close this sermon. It drives me nuts in today's age when everything is about me. It seems that in my generation and generations upcoming that it seems that everybody's going, what's my mission? Whatever makes me happy is everybody else gets to do what I want to do. And the question to ask is not what is my mission? What do I want to do in life? But what is Jesus' mission? What is Jesus' mission? Because you are called to submit to him. Jesus gave his life for you. Yes, he loves you. He cares for you. He gave himself for you but it's so that you might be redeemed out of your self-centeredness, so that once again you might be God-centered. He's not one to just serve whatever you want to do. You have been redeemed, bought with a price, so that you might be returned to him and be about the thing that truly matters in the world, which is what he is and what he's doing in the world. You see, this is about his mission. And the question we should be asking is, how do I get connected to him? Well, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, we've discussed gospel identity. And we've talked about the characteristics of someone who can answer the question, who am I in Jesus? We've talked about being centered in Jesus. And I'm asking, as we close this morning, Are you centered in Jesus? Secondly, we've talked about being empowered by the Spirit, and I'm asking, are you one whose life is marked by something beyond yourself? The things that are happening can only be explained by God through you. And third, we've talked about being purposed to live on mission. And everything that we do, I'm wondering, I'm asking the question, why do you do it? In your DNA, do you have a passion? Do you have a passion to live so that 
your life can count as a witness for him. And are you only, even if you have that passion, are you living only within your kind? Or do you have a heart that is God's heart to see beyond race and class and politics, neighborhoods and geography and nationality, to care about all people in the way that God cares about people and to live in a way that counts as a witness, a witness of Jesus to all. Father, we thank you for how you're speaking and we pray, God, that you would continue to work in our midst. We're so grateful, God, for your word to us and we pray that you would allow us now as we move to respond in you to be heartfelt, to offer ourselves completely in the ways that you've spoken to us today. Father, I ask God that if there's anyone here who is not centered on you, who's not a worshiper, who's had the thinking that Christianity is more about religious system or philosophy or a set of teaching. And today they've heard it's just about a person to fall in love with, to enter a relationship with. I pray to, today, God, that we would grow to become more worshipers, centered on you. God, for those who are here today who have just been living according to what they think they can do in life, and not according to what you desire to do through them, I pray today, God, that you would help us to hear your promise that for those who are in relationship with you, you give your Holy Spirit, that we might be empowered in the work that you have called us to do. Help us, Lord, to come to the end of ourselves. Some of us are tired and ragged because we're still trying to do it in the flesh, but God, you invite us to be done with the flesh and to say yes to you taking over and working through us according to your presence and power. Sustain and strengthen us, God, by your spirit. And I pray for those today who are just living for themselves, living for smaller things, trying to get you to be an actor in their big drama. God, that we would just stop that. And God, that we would fall in love with the bigger thing that you're doing. That we would learn that we have been set apart for a purpose, and that is to bear witness to you. Help us, Lord, to have that transcendent vision and passion in everything that we do. May we be found faithful. 